So we do want to extend a happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there this morning. Um, And we also, too, want to acknowledge, we want to celebrate that, and we also want to acknowledge that sometimes this day comes with difficulties, and it's not always the easiest day for everyone either. Um, It comes with loss and and, and some different things like that. And and so we just want you to know, too, that if today is a a painful day, um, that we're with you, that we, we see you, we recognize that. And we love you and support you in that. But moms, we are so grateful for you moms. Uh, I want to read this from uh, a lady named Ann Voskamp. It says this. It says, honestly, you don't have to know what you'll do when it happens. When the kids grow up, buy you a Mother's Day card. While they tell their friends, their therapist, and their kids that you got so much wrong, you just have to know that you'll humbly own it because because they aren't wrong. It's tender and true. You could have held them longer after they grew too big for your arms, held space for their pain, held their eyes, held them up in relentless prayers. You could have said yes to more campfires, jumped more on the trampoline, and been known more for your loud, rowdy laughter instead of being the ready critic. You could have asked more honest questions and lingered longer, simply honoring them with listening space. You could have said yes and no, both at the right time. Where you tried and fell short, they now trip and fall and have bruises to prove it. Much dysfunction is a function of denying brokenness. The madness of much dysfunction ends now. It ends with our owning it. Yes, things are broken, and all the brokenness can be, made, can, can be the tender breaking open of a seed to grow better. No matter their age or your regrets, you can tenderly own that you took some wrong turns. It's never too late to simply turn toward the light. Life always turns on the turn. And it's worth writing down, by the kitchen sink, parenting is never about how your kids turn out. It's always about, it's always and only about how you keep turning towards your kids and their maker. It's okay. Motherhood is never about training your children to be good so they won't ever fall. It's about letting them see you fall in love every day with a good God. And even after you've fallen hard, they see you keep falling hard for God. Simply, the work of every parent is to give the best they know how to. And the work of every child is to forgive their parents the best they can. Now, our work will look different, but both we, we both have growing work to do. There is always grace coming to meet all of us. All right, we hope all you moms feel loved and honored today um, by those closest to you. Love you, mom. All right, so we're going to continue on today. In, uh, we're back to Mark. We're in chapter 6 this morning, Um, so if you want to turn your Bible on, open your Bible, grab one from uh, the chair in front of you, that would be great. There seems like a lot of echo, kind of maybe I'm a little hot, I don't know. Um, The last couple weeks we were in John 17 with some of the other churches in town and and going through Jesus' prayer on unity, and I know that 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 was really a blessing. I was talking to some of the pastors this last week, and I hope maybe you've had opportunities to have a conversation with maybe folks from some of the other churches that did that, but uh, unity is, is something that is near and dear to Jesus' heart and not always the easiest thing to achieve. So if you're there, the, this morning we're just talking about this, we're calling it familiar, um, and so we're going to just start here in Luke chapter 6, and it says this, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. 
And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom, wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Notice what we don't see, the, the difference. There's no crowds. There's no people pressing in. There's no people desiring healing and, and really just, uh, there's no sick. It's just Jesus back in his hometown. And not much of a reception at that, right? Just, he, he goes in and it says that he teaches in the synagogue and, 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 and they're amazed. They heard, they, they've seen, and yet they've doubt. They've, they've, they've heard the things that he's saying. They've seen the miraculous things that he's doing. And they even acknowledge that. They're like, where does he get this? What is the deal with this? At this point, his father Joseph is, is likely dead because he's not named in this. They say, well, is this not Mary's son? Is, this not, is that not who we're talking about here? But then they begin to label him. They label him as his job. He's the carpenter. He's just a simple carpenter. He, he's not educated. They're, they're pointing out that he's just simply a carpenter, that he's not an educated man, that he's not actually somebody who's been through the training that, uh, that a rabbi would have been through. They, they label him as status. Isn't he just Mary's son? Isn't he just the brother of these guys? His past, they've known him the whole time, and they've just kind of gotten to this place where familiarity has bred contempt within them. And it tends to do that with us. It, it tends to, the closer that we are sometimes, the the less impressed we are with someone, right? You have to forgive me today, too. I have a cold and allergies. <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but something is out there. So it was cool. Uh, I met with a couple guys this week, and we, we were looking at, and, and, and one of them said, hey, you know, I was looking into this Luke chapter 4, and what's going on here? So if you can actually turn to Luke chapter 4, um, verses 14 through 30. We want to look at this. And, and you know, Mark is the guy who's always just kind of hitting it. He's, he's hitting all the high spots. He's, he's just action point to action point to action point in this gospel. Oh, thanks. <clears throat> um, while, while Luke tends to pull a lot more detail out of everything. Luke is a historian and a physician. And so he's very detail-oriented in what he does. So when we get to chapter 4 here, in verse 14 of Luke, we've got one of two things. We've either got Luke expounding on the same event and giving us more details of what went on, or we have two separate events. Verse 14 says this, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day 
and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. <coughs> he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and rec the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. It's an interesting thing at this point that they're loving what Jesus had to say here, right? Oh, just all of these great things. It's, he's proclaiming the year of, of, of the Lord's favor. He's, he's proclaiming good news. He's, he's saying that the captives are going to have liberty and freedom for prisoners, right? And everybody is like, oh, what great words you have to say to us, Jesus. But Jesus knows and understands kind of where they're at and what perspective they're coming from. And, and, and then he flips it a little bit and he says, look, um, Dallas, you're going to say this, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, <clears throat> no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in the Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So now everything has changed, right? What happened? And that was the big question that we were talking about. It was like, what happened here, you know? They went from here to there. Jesus went from hero to zero in their eyes, and they're actually going to try to kill him and throw him off of the top of this cliff. Well, when Jesus begins to speak to them, he begins to tell them these events that happened. And he talks about this lady, this, this widow in Sidon. And Sidon would have, would have been, to the Jewish people, it would have been the epitome of evil to them. See, this was the place where Jezebel was from. And Jezebel married King Ahab, and she introduced to Israel all of her native cults. He speaks about Naaman, the Syrian, and you see Israel and the Syrians had all kinds of conflict. The Syrians were raiding down into Israel all the time, and this healing of this guy Naaman um, represents this idea that God was at work, not just in the Jewish people, but in a broader span of things, in, in a bigger picture. As a matter of fact, see, the Jewish people believed that only they would be saved. They believed that the Gentiles were actually just fuel for hell. That was kind of the way that they looked at things. And now Jesus is 
challenging them with the reality of what they believed. You see, they're kind of so close to all of this that they can't see the forest for the trees. We, we sit in a really dangerous spot of that. As God's people and as God's beloved, sometimes we get so close to all of this that we forget what we're really looking at and what we're really talking about. We don't really see what God is doing because we have a preconceived idea of what God ought to be doing or how we see it. Or we begin to get so close that we just get complacent. We get used to it. It goes on in Mark to say this. Thumb back to Mark. Let me come back to Mark. And it says that he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. So Jesus, it says that he couldn't do any mighty work there. It's not that the people there had stifled him through his unbelief. It wasn't that he wasn't able. It said simply that because of their unbelief, they weren't bringing their sick to him. All of this prior to it, all of him is his teaching um, by the side of the sea. There are just droves of people that are coming to him that are being healed. But here now, there's an absence of that. And, and it says that Jesus is absolutely astonished at their unbelief. That he uses a word that he uses another way in belief. There was a Roman officer that came to him and said, look, um, my servant is sick and he needs healed, but you don't even have to show up because I know that you're a man of authority and I'm a man of authority. And all you have to do is say the word and he's going to be healed. And Jesus, it says, was astonished at his belief and said, I haven't even seen such faith in Israel. Here he's as astonished at their unbelief. And remember that these are the people that are the closest to Jesus. They're the closest ones. These are friends. These are family members. These are people who are going to the synagogue together, and, and they have no belief. And Jesus is absolutely astonished at where they're at. And it says that he couldn't do many miracles because they didn't give him the opportunity Sometimes I wonder how many times we take this path. How many times do we know the depth of the need that we have? The healing that really needs to occur in our lives, but we just hold on to it rather than taking it to him. Rather than going to him and recognizing him as the source of our healing, we just kind of hold on to it. We, we attempt all kinds of different ways of, of feeling better or forgetting or just pretending like it doesn't exist. You see, you and I, there's a reality that only you can be healthy for you. There's nobody else that can do this for you. We either are going to go to him in our brokenness, or we're going to be left in our brokenness. It's not that he's not willing, right? James tells us this. It says that when we draw near to God, that God draws near to us. It's not that God is sitting back like this, going, when you get over here, we'll talk. It's that God is a respecter of your free will. The second that you make an effort towards God, he's going to close the final gap 
Think about the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. It says that when he saw his son a long ways off, this father ran to him. When he recognized that his son was returning, he closed the final distance between him and his son. And he restored his son. He, he gave his son a right identity. He, 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 he took the brokenness of what the son brought back with him, and he began a process of restoration. And he never visited the past with him. He just moved forward. He simply moved forward. Sometimes the problem with us is that we feel like that thing, that thing that we've got is so dark and so ugly and so bad that if we showed it to him, we would be instantly rejected by him. It's our deepest fear is that if we really got real with God or if we really got real within the church and we began to, to admit our brokenness, if we began to actually express and, and, and comfort one another and, and do the real dealings of what the church is meant to be. See, we're afraid, though, that if, if people knew about us, those things, that we would be rejected. But you see, that's not the gospel at all. The gospel is that you've, you've been known fully, that there is nothing that is concealed from God about you. And yet he accepts you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And he wants to restore you. He doesn't just want to save you. He wants to make you whole. He wants to give you what's called shalom peace. And that shalom is a, is a, it's a, it's a, it's not just the absence of conflict in your life. It's a, it's a holistic healing of all of who you are. You see, in the one who's inhibiting the healing in your life right now is you. It's just you. It's not that there's not a God who's able or a God who's willing, a God who's done everything on our behalf so that we can have this. My encouragement is, is to don't be so close. Don't be so close to him that you miss it. To just think, you know, that sometimes that this is about just coming to church. Sometimes I think I wonder, I know I'm wondering really deeply, how come this doesn't work sometimes? How come being a Christian isn't working for people? You ever wonder that? How, how come is it that, that we're still in such a spot at times? And I think it's because we're not coming to him. We're not following him. We're, we're allowing ourselves to be discipled by the world around us. We're not listening. We're not moving into this place of healing that he's calling us to. We're moving away. We're rejecting. We're, we're choosing our own things and our own ways. And then we're getting our return out of that economy. And that economy will, it's like going to the casino. You don't win. Go there enough. You won't win. I promise you. Right? You, you may get lucky every once in a while. And that's, that's how we live our lives. It's like sometimes we... We just go up to life, and we, we go into the economy of the world, and we, we pull the thing, and, and every once in a while, you know what? You, you, you hit it. And ching, 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 ching. Man, it feels great for a minute. You know what I mean? That, that moment, and then you stay too long, right? And then you stay too long, and you begin to trust and think that that's, that's just the way it is. 
And it will always cost you more than you're ready to pay. It always does. The world wins in that sense. The world doesn't win because of Jesus, right? We fight from a place of victory. He's, he's, he's won on our behalf already. But we've got to take that, and we've got to walk into that, and we've got to understand that. Verse 7. And he called the 12, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to, put on two tuni- and, and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, then when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and, he, and healed them. Two by two, Jesus sent them. See, this is the, this is the amazing thing is that, is that Jesus is calling us to join him in what he's doing. And, and you won't find any more fulfilling thing in your life that might be Jesus right there. Uh, somebody get that. You won't find any more fulfilling thing in your life than, than, to, than to find the ministry that he has for you. It's interesting that he sends them out in pairs. And I think that's really important because you really need somebody. When you're isolated, if you're doing ministry alone, the enemy's going to have his way with you. He is gonna, he's going to rent a lot of space in your head alone. Two are better than one, it says in Proverbs, Right? Because when one falls, the other one can pick them up. And we all need somebody to do ministry with. Who are you doing ministry with? And are you doing ministry now? <clears throat> That's the next thing, is are you sent? Are you moving forward in what God has for you? See, he gave them spiritual authority. He gave them authority. And then he took the comforts away from them that they had, right? Just take a staff. No food, no food bag, no money in your belt. No, uh... And he said this, too, you got to stay with them. Don't take two tunics. You know why? Because two tunics were if you were going to sleep outside at night there. You'd have two to keep warm. Jesus was like, you go be among them. You go be with them. You go live with them, basically. Sometimes we spend all of our lives just building walls, right? We make a safe haven within the church, which really this is, again, I've, I've told you, you didn't come to church, you brought church with you, right? And what you do during the week this week is what the church is doing this week. That's what's happening. Don't point back here and say, well, the church, the church. No, we're the church. And what we do as we go about our week is what the church is doing through the week. They weren't allowed just to go and drive back into their house and shut the garage door and live within the walls of that. They had to go spend time with people. And that's, you know, are, are we investing into people's lives? Do you have unbelieving friends? Not unbelieving projects. I'm not talking about unbelieving projects. 
Don't make projects out of people. But do you have unbelievers in your life that you care for and that you love and you deeply want them to see them come to Jesus? We should all have that. Is there a ministry out there? Is there a place where you're spending time with people who don't know Jesus? Or have we just kind of walled things off and living in a little safe space? That's not the picture. See, they were told to shake the dust off. And when a Jew returned home or had left out of Israel, when he came back, they would shake the dust off of their feet. And it was a, it was a, a, a symbol of the purity of Israel, that they were shaking the dust off of the Gentiles around them, right? But you see, Jesus is challenging them with this idea, and they want to kill him over it. He's telling them, you need to go out, and you need to recognize that God has got a bigger picture than just your little world and your little bubble. That he's at work in a, in a greater way. We are not to shake the dust off of our feet. They were told there, but their mission was a specific mission. Their mission at that time was to the Jewish people. The people who were new and understand and had heard about God and, and all of that. So we, we're never told to shake the dust off of our feet in our mission. We're supposed to just, just told to keep going. And their message was just to repent, to simply turn, to do a 180. You're going this way, go this way. It's our message still today. Right? But, but as the church, we need to practice this message. We need to quit going other ways. We need to quit trusting in other things. We need to quit looking to the world, believing that the world has the answers for us. We need to quit doing it the world's way so that we can quit getting the world's results. God's ways are higher. God's economy is above the economy of this world. So if we subject ourselves only to the economy of this world, that's where you get your return from, and you never win. But if we move through that economy up into a higher economy, we begin to believe that this is a God of, of healing. This is a God who wants wholeness for us. This is a God who we can trust with our brokenness, that this place is a place we can trust with our brokenness, that these people... See, if we started really talking about the mess of who we are, it would be messy. It would be really messy. That's the, real, that's the reality of this. So why we come on Sundays and put on our big smiles and our, our happy faces, I don't know. How are you doing? Oh, great. We're great. Beautiful. Perfect. Mm -mm. We're not. We're broken. We're messed up. But we have a God who's who's bigger than any of those things, who's able. But just to turn is always the first step. So our message to the world is to turn, to repent, to quit trusting in the things that you've been trusting in, to believe and to know that, that God is, is available, that he's with us. Are you just familiar with church? Maybe you're too familiar with church. Maybe you just like coming to church, or maybe you think your kids should come to church. 
Maybe you've just heard the message a lot and, and gotten kind of comfortable with it. Maybe you're struggling in here with, with, with some of the questions, you know, and maybe those questions are keeping you outside of, of what God, salvation. Maybe you're, maybe you're struggling with questions like that we all struggle with, like, man, what, what about the person who's never heard about Jesus? What, what, what about them? Well, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to let God be God in that, but here's what I do know, that when we have heard that we're accountable, that's what I know. We should not be worried about those who haven't heard, and we better really be worried if you have heard. Have you responded to that? Have you heard the gospel? Have you heard God's voice in your life? Or have you just gotten too kind of comfortable with it? See, Jesus said this in Luke 10. He said, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. And Jesus is saying, these places... Capernaum was his chosen home, and, and Nazareth was, was the place of his birth and raising. And he's saying, you've, you're so close that you've gotten complacent. You forgot about what all this is. There's no, there's no passion in you. There's no intensity. There's, you, you don't see the need in yourself because you're just too close to it all. You can't see the forest for the trees. See, and when the, Jesus sent the the, the disciples out, it was, a, it was a new thing that was going on. They were, they were going out, and they were going out in his name, and, and what are you doing to renew your relationship with God? Because like every relationship, it, it has to be made refreshed and, and made new. We have to actively pursue it. We have to actively be a part of, of, of doing our end of the relationship so that it's vibrant and so that it's alive. Are you going out? Are you renewing your relationship? Are you letting the gospel sink into you all the time? Or, or have we just gotten so comfortable with the idea of the gospel that it just doesn't really move us anymore? What's the cost of complacency? What's the personal cost to complacency? Here's what I know. Every single one of us in here is one bad decision away from a completely different life. Take heed, the Bible says, lest you fall. Don't allow yourself to sink into complacency. Push back in. Preach the gospel to yourself and keep preaching it to yourself until it soaks in. Matthew 7, 21 and 23, I think some of the scariest words Jesus ever spoke. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a scary thing. That should set us back. That idea that, man, didn't I, I, 
But Jesus, I went to church every Sunday and I read my Bible. Jesus is saying, you have to have a personal relationship with him. I never knew you was the problem. The issue wasn't the works that they had done. The issue wasn't all the good things that they had done. The issue was whether they were in relationship to him or not. See, because it's not about what you do. It's about what he's done, right? It's about what this God has done for us. And when we're in relationship with him, there's a doing that comes out of that. It's not that we're trying to appease God. It's not that we're trying to do so that we're good. It's not that God isn't calling you, and I keep telling you this, God isn't calling you to go out there and do a bunch of good stuff. He's calling you to be so closely related to him with a relationship that is so vibrant that out of your life comes the good works that God wants to do in and around you. That it just becomes an outflow. It's like, it's like having this whole sound system in here, but it's not plugged in, right? We have to plug in, and as soon as we plug in, everything changes. The cost of complacency, it's a false assurance, and it's indifference to the world around us. When we begin to get too close and we get too complacent, we forget about what's going on in a lost world out there. And our lost world right now is getting more and more and more and more broken. Generation by generation, life by life. And God is calling you and I to go out two by two with a message of hope and love and compassion and repentance. That we would love people so well that we had to tell them the truth. See, that's what love really does. Love tells the truth. Somebody said, and I think it's, it's, it's like, it kind of takes you back. It's like, how much do you have to dislike someone to not tell them the gospel? Pretty deeply, huh? If what the Bible says is true, it's the most important thing there is, is A, our receiving of the gospel individually, and you can do that if you've never done that, by simply asking, by simply just reckoning your need. God, I'm a sinful person. I've got a past that's pretty broken. I've done things that I'm not happy about and that are kind of shameful. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, for providing a way for the forgiveness of my sins that I might be able to stand in your presence. That's the gospel. And if you do it from here, not just here, it's change your life. It'll change your life drastically. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come and indwell you. The very voice of God, the very personhood of God will, will, will come and live in you and speak to you and teach you and counsel you and heal you. But we got to keep pressing in, everybody. We can't just get to the place where we're like, oh, I went to church today. I'm good, right? We're never good. We got to keep pressing in. We need to love the world that much that we have no complacency. We need to pursue God to that degree. 
Lord, help us with that. Lord, we need you. We can't do it alone. Lord, we're prone to slipping away. We're prone to complacency. You know where we're at, Lord. You know our hearts. You know that we've fallen short. Lord, we just look to you. We want to trust you more, Lord, and we want to we want to take you up on the mission that you have for us. We want to take you up on the works that you prepared in advance that we might walk in them. And we want to be healed by you, Lord. So we want you to just meet with us here this day and, and help us. Heal the brokenness, Lord, in our own lives individually. Heal the brokenness in our families. Lord, restore and help us and teach us about forgiveness. Teach us about your ways. Teach us about the bigger picture that you're doing. And, and Lord, we're going to cut everything off because we think something ought to go a certain way or have a certain outcome. Remind us, Lord, that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our ways and that you know all things. Help us to trust you more today, Lord. Help us to walk close with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.